Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So we've been given a new identity. And just a little testimony, when I gave my life to Jesus some years ago, um, I considered the word of God quite black and white. And as far as right and wrong was concerned, and I began to challenge things uh, that didn't seem to be in line with God's word. And as you can imagine, it got me into lots of tricky conversations because as I've spoken to situations, and I remember once, probably more than once, but one particular negative response from someone in a new church that I'd started attending that made me stop and think. And they said, who did she think she is? And we say that a lot, don't we? Because sometimes we can be a bit overconfident. But I was just, the Bible says this, so this is what should happen. So it, it set me on a journey and I began to question that. It was a catalyst and caused me to ask myself that very thing. And I realized that I wasn't really sure. I was unsure of my new identity and who I really was. So it set me on that journey of discovering my new identity in Christ, who I am in Christ. And it's a question I'd like to pose to each one of us today. Who do you think you are? In Proverbs 23 and verse 7, it says that as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So what we believe in our hearts about ourselves is very important because it determines how we live and who we become. Therefore, it's essential that we make sure that we think the same as God and we have his view and not selling ourselves short or taking on a different identity. That's not true. The trouble is, though, and it's going for me then, is that people tell you who you are through words and deeds and actions. And you tell yourself things that are not true. And sometimes, just because we want to be accepted, we often believe what's not true about our identity. And it takes a lot of courage sometimes to rise up and dare to believe that God says you are who you are. And to carry this message on, I just want to say the Bible says lots and lots about our identity and who we are. I won't be able to cover it all today, but today I want to focus on three aspects of our new identity in Christ. And they are, first, we are sons and daughters of God. Second, we are servants of a king. And third, we are soldiers in the army of the king of kings. So we are sons and daughters of God. In Romans 8.15, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And in John 1.12, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So the Bible tells us we're adopted into his family, into the family of God. When he died on the cross for our sins, he made the way back to the Father. And through faith in Jesus, we become children of God. We're sons and daughters of a heavenly Father, whom we can now call Abba, 
able to have that deep connection with him, our Father who is in heaven. It doesn't change who he is. He's still our heavenly Father. He's still sovereign. But we can relate to him. It changes the way we relate. We can now call him Dad and gather and relate to him that way. And the more we know and the more we grow in that knowledge of God as Abba Father, the more that we understand our standing um, as a son and daughter. Christ made it possible, didn't he? And he gave us, he gives us the power every day to continue as a son and daughter, to live like royal children in the kingdom of God with all the kingdom benefits available to us because God, we know, loves to give good gifts to his children and that's us. And in Galatians 4, 7, in the New Living Translation, we read, you are no longer a slave but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. We are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. What a higher position can, could you hold to be called a son and daughter of God, the Most High God? No worldly honor could ever equal it. So as sons, as sons and daughters, we live in acceptance. We belong in a family, a family of God. And he loves us all equally. There's no need to compete or perform to earn his love. There's nothing we could do. We're already approved. And we have the approval of the Father as a son and daughter. And we can live from that place, a place of love, and therefore nothing to prove. All we have to do is receive that love and let, that, let it join our relationship with the Father stronger and deeper and more intimate. We no, we no longer have to feel like we have to impress God or anyone else for that matter because we know that we belong and we're approved by him. Feeling fully accepted, it's a journey, isn't it? And I think one we're all on. Sometimes I feel more accepted than others. I don't know about you. But it's one thing that we need to constantly challenge ourselves because especially when we fail in our own expectations or the expectations of others for that matter, when we feel rejected or not quite good enough or when we feel that we just can't do what is required, we need to remind ourselves, don't we, that God accepts us just as we are and he gives us the grace to be changed by his love. Sons and daughters also live from a place of security and rest. And as sons and daughters, we know that we're loved and we find safety in the protection of the Father. We know that he has our back in every challenge that we face. There's nothing that he can't do. And he has our back when he asks us to do something. In Psalm 91, it's a fantastic psalm about the protection of God. In verse 1, it says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. It says his wings are around us to keep us safe. We know that when we go through trials and hardship, as we all do at times, and we can express because Jesus did, that he is with us. And if we run to him during those times, he will lift us up as he's promised to us. Some of the
downsizing in time because it was quite easy to turn inward when it gets tough. But true friends and daughters of God, they grow through trials and they become more secure in the identity that we have because they know who they belong to. Nothing can separate us from his love, the Bible tells us. In Romans 8, 38, it says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither fears for today or worries for tomorrow, but even the powers of hell can never separate us from God's love. Absolutely nothing. Exciting, isn't it? That's a place of security. When you remember that, you can feel so secure and at rest in God. So we don't have to strive at all to fulfill the Father's will, which is something we all desire to do. It's not a self-effort. It's by being led, like David said, by the Holy Spirit. And when we surrender to the Holy Spirit, to lead us, he will lead. He will lead us and we will be in his flow and he will enable us to walk in the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit and also with the gifts of the Spirit. It says in Romans 8, 14, for all allowing themselves to be led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So it's proof that we're led. If we're led by the Holy Spirit, we are sons of God, sons and daughters. Learn to receive from him and then give out to others. Love others with what you have received. Sons and daughters live with responsibility. It's a big word, isn't it? Sometimes we like responsibility, sometimes we don't. But as sons and daughters, we know that we're dearly loved by the Father. And God gives us rights and responsibilities as being his children. In Galatians 3, 26, we read, For you who are born again have been reborn from above spiritually to this form, renewed, sanctified, and all the children of God set apart for his purpose and full rights and privileges, with full rights and privileges through faith in Jesus Christ. So we're given the right to be children of God and it comes with a responsibility because we need to be set apart for his purpose. We have responsibility to live by the Spirit. We thought we heard last week about the constant battle between the Spirit and the flesh, things that we desire. We need to give those desires over, not following our desires but his desires. And we will be transformed into his likeness. And it's our willingness to be led that accelerates that transformation. When we struggle, sometimes it just takes longer. We just need to submit and allow the Holy Spirit to transform us from within. In Colossians 1, verse 9 and 10, in the Amplified, Paul writes, We have not stopped praying for you, asking specifically that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom, with insight into his purpose, in understanding and in understanding the spiritual things. 
so that we will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, displaying admirable character, moral courage, and personal integrity, be fully pleasing in all things, bearing fruit in every good work, and steadily growing in the knowledge of God, with deeper faith, clearer insight, and fervent love for his people. So Paul prayed this for the Colossian church, for, the, for all who believe. He was praying that we would grow in all those things. So our sons and daughters, we also welcome his discipline, the father's discipline, when we go off track, as we do sometimes. We know that it comes from his love, um, and he only does it when he needs to pull us back on track and keep us going in the right way. <coughs> also, our sons and daughters live out of inheritance. Our sons and daughters were given an inheritance from God and everything that we need to live a life of godliness and service to God. We did a lot of that serving yesterday. God gives us everything that we need to step out sometimes into places where we've never stepped before. Because, because he, when we're led by the Holy Spirit, he asks us to do some things sometimes, but he also resources us and strengthens us through it. He wants to bless his children, he says that. And he gives us fearless on his inheritance. However, sometimes, I don't know about you, but we can slip into a lifestyle where we welcome that inheritance and the blessing. But it's sometimes we covet it more than we covet God himself. You know, a bit like the prodigal son in Luke 15. He wanted his inheritance up front, and then he left the farmer. Not, not a thought about how he was going to manage the farm without him. In Luke 15, verse 11 to 13, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. You know, he wanted his inheritance. He wanted it on his terms. But he wanted it at the expense of a relationship with his father. And as children of God, we must be careful that we aren't carrying our attitude of wanting blessing without laying down our lives to live for him and the extension of his kingdom. So we are secure and we're loved, first and foremost, as sons and daughters of God. And secondly, we are servants of the King. In Philippians 2, verse 5 to 8, in the Passion Translation, it says this, And consider the example that Jesus, the Anointed One, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. He existed in the form of God. Yet he gave no thought to choosing equality with God as a supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of all his outward glory. By reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant, he became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to, to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. So we're servants of the king. He himself is the servant king. 
situation I found of, of bond servants, which it talks about in some of these verses uh, in the Merriam-Webster, was one bound to service without wages. Another one I found said, a faithful servant, according to the Bible, is to be devoted and helpful following, to be humble before God, to be ready to act as God nudges and inspires us, to help meet the needs of other people, and to remember that it is not about money or reward. There are so many examples in the Old Testament who, who were referred to by God as servants. Abraham, God spoke about him as his servant in Genesis. Joshua was called the servant of the Lord, as was David and Samuel and Isaiah. Even the Messiah, Jesus himself, was called God's servant in Isaiah 53, verse 11. Throughout the New Testament, the word bondservant, slave or servant, is applied metaphorically to someone absolutely devoted to Jesus. We have the example of Paul the Apostle, who lived his life continually in God's will. Timothy, James, Peter, Jude, all described themselves as bondservants of Christ. And when we look at the lives of these great men of God, we discover that after they had devoted their lives and committed their lives to being a bondservant of God, he raised them up as great leaders in the body of Christ. And it says, doesn't it, if you want to lead, be a leader, you must be a servant of all. And someone here this can look up to. I think this might be Ryan. They can share six, six such qualities of a bondservant. Someone who is diligent, works diligently without complaint. Someone who is courageous, has courage and faces adversity when things go wrong as an overcomer until the task is completed. Someone who has humility, standing in a position of brokenness before a loving master. Dependence, trusting the master, the Lord, to provide all needs. Identity, identifies unashamedly with faith in God and the church family. And single-mindedness, focus on making Christ's priorities their priority. Quite a list, isn't it? And we're all, we're all on a journey here to develop those qualities of a bondservant to Christ. So a true servant of the Lord practices self-denial. Jesus did not live for his comfort and he never sought fame or fortune. He came to serve and he worked for the good of others. In Mark 8, 34, Jesus speaks, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he says, If any of you wants to follow me, want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. And notice in that verse it does it say, your own way, give up your own way and carry your own cross. Because what is a sacrifice to me might not be a sacrifice to you. And what seems heavy for me to carry might seem light as a feather for you. Because we don't all carry the same cross. But we're all called to deny self and follow him wherever he asks. So as a servant we must surrender 
do whatever the Holy Spirit is asking us and be obedient to serve his purpose and others as he prompts. He's looking just for willing hearts. He's not looking for us to be anything more but willing to serve others and then he will do amazing things through us. A true servant shows compassion and takes courage. There's an example in here in Acts 9.36. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek means Dorcas. She was always doing kind things to others and helping the poor. I love that, always doing others, not just sometimes, always doing kind things to others and helping the poor. Now Dorcas saw a way in this story that she could help instead of just thinking how awful it was for the women around her in the cold. She did something about it. This is love in action. We did lots of that yesterday where we're helping people, showing love, showing the Lord's love. But often we can be moved by something that we see or hear and just be moved. Sometimes we can be moved to tears. But next time, why? That next time we are, why don't we just ask the Holy Spirit what he wants us to do about it and what can be done and what we personally can do. Let's not be discouraged sometimes by the huge problems that present around us. Let's take courage and help the one at a time. Let's be like Dorcas in this passage and do something. Let's let go of excuses and say yes, Lord, just like Isaiah did in Isaiah 6 verse 8. Isaiah the prophet of God, when he heard, sorry, when I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for me for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. So often we want to know what's expected of us before we say yes. I don't know about you, but sometimes I do. I want to know what's going to happen. But Isaiah didn't stop to think about the details and assess whether he could handle the situation or the assignment. He just simply made himself available and he trusted God would do the rest. So let's make a decision today to say yes, to do the next thing that God asks us to do. And we will be blessed just like Isaiah when God steps in and does amazing things through us. And my third point is we are soldiers in the army of the King of Kings. And we know Jesus is the King of Kings and he calls us kings and priests. But we are soldiers in his army. In 1 Peter 2 verse 9 and 11 in that in the Living Translation, it tells us, but you are not like that, for you are chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as people, now you are God's chosen people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. So dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, 
to keep away from worldly desire and that wage war against you in your very soul. In Timothy 6, verse 12, it says, Fight the good fight of faith and accomplish the evil. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good expression of faith in the presence of many witnesses. So whether we like it or not, as people of God, we are in a war, a war for our souls and for the souls of men. We are under a mandate to wage war against the kingdom of darkness. It's not a natural war, but it's a spiritual war we're in. And we serve the commander of the Lord's army, which is Jesus. So as soldiers, the soldier swears allegiance to the king, the commander-in-chief. And we are, we are soldiers in the king's mighty army. And we need to learn to use the weapons of our warfare that he's given us. He's not left us to fight without it. Like I said, it's not a physical fight, but he's given us weapons of our warfare. And going AWOL is not an option if we want to live victorious. In 1 Peter 5 tells us that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I don't want to be devoured. I want to be ready on the offensive, not the defensive, when the enemy's prowling around. He wants to devour your joy and your confidence, your courage, your witness. He wants to make you null and void and defeated. But that's not what God says about you. God says and he declares that you are more than conquerors. And he gives us all authority to live as one. In Ephesians 6, verse 11 to 17, it says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against authorities, and against powers in this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on your full armor, the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So with our armor on, we can stand against the devil's schemes. We can stand firm in God. We also need to stand our ground. The question is, for us today, what are we standing for? And what are we standing against? What ground are we standing? We know we stand on a firm foundation in Jesus. But there are certain things that oppose the will of God and come against his word that we need to stand for. One thing the Bible tells us to do is to stand for righteousness and justice, to love what God loves and to hate what he hates. It tells us in 1 Peter 1.9. 
it's always good to start in our own lives, isn't it? To hate the sin that strikes us at our door, to drive it away in repentance and and wanting to be right with God. You know, repentance should be a natural part of our daily routine. You know, it's not a dirty word. It's not something we do once and for all. Let's be encouraged to make repentance, forgiveness, and cleansing a cycle that we regularly repeat. And as soldiers, we wash clean in the precious blood of Jesus when we're ready to take our stand against the schemes of the enemy. And not just take a stand, but to take back the ground that is stolen. Because that's what he is, isn't he? He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Stolen so much from us. And it belongs to us because God's already given it to us. So let's let's remember that. Let's take back the ground. Let's take back what's been stolen. Jesus fought for us at the cross, and he's never stopped fighting for us. He fights for our freedom every day. He fights for our healing every day, our deliverance. And he wants us to have the full inheritance that he's given and bought back for us. This kingdom life, it's not passive, it's progressive. We need to stand up and progress our promises, our promised land, all that Jesus has won for us. Let's make a decision today, not just to accept things. Sometimes we do, don't we? It's just the way it is. If it doesn't come in line with what God says, let's not accept it. Let's fight for what God says is the truth and stand against and take back. As soldiers, we are also chosen and charged. In 1 Timothy 1.18, it says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage war, the good warfare. I told you at the beginning, God speaks to us individually. And if God says something to you, it's a prophetic word to you. So you claim it with that prophetic word until you see the truth. As God's people, we can't just maintain through service, which we did a lot of yesterday. We also need to prepare ourselves as soldiers to march into battle. Not on the defense, like I said, but on the offensive. To take back what is rightfully ours, because it's given to us by our Father. And in Matthew 11, verse 12 of the ESV, it tells us, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, because the enemy has stolen things. And the violent commit suicide. And that's us, as soldiers of the King of Kings. By standing against and taking back, standing in him, all that belongs to God's kingdom. It's part of our responsibility as a child of God. So in conclusion, as sons and daughters of God, we are dearly loved, secure, and live from his love. As sons and daughters, we also live with rights and responsibilities as a kingdom of heaven. And with the Father's full inheritance available to us. We are servants of the Most High God. And serve from a place of love. And we follow the example of Jesus, our servant king. In self-denial, showing compassion 
honorable in Jesus. We are soldiers in his mighty arm. We have all have been given all authority to resist the enemy and take back all that he has stolen, which belongs to the kingdom of God. So as I pray, you might be sat there thinking, I have resisted Jesus. I haven't even started that journey. And you might want to ask him into your life today because there's nothing better than living for the King of Kings and knowing Jesus as your Saviour. For those who of us who know him, you might just want to receive a fresh revelation of his love and his Holy Spirit to help you walk in his flow and serve others with compassion. Or you may want to commit again to serve God's purposes 